0: This morning, we're going to talk about something that could be a little uncomfortable for a lot of people, and that is facing your financial fears. You know, I heard about a pastor who went into his office and he was, you know, praying and it's so hard that he started asking God a lot of questions. And He says, God, you know, h- how long is a million years to you? And God responded, well, it's about a second. And then the pastor said, well, then how much is a million dollars to you? And God said, well, it's about a penny. Then the pastor thought about it for a while. He says, well, God, can you give me one of those pennies? To which God replied, sure, just wait a sec. <laughs> the truth is that we all have financial fears. So we're always praying for money. And you don't have to be an economist to have financial fears. I think, honestly, I, if I were to ask, raise your hand if you don't have any financial fears, I would be surprised if I would see any hands up. Not that you would raise it anyway. Because the fact is that we all have them. If we didn't, we wouldn't have like articles and magazines like Newsweek that would come up with titles like how safe is your job or warning signals and how to cope. The fact is that we have fear of inflation. We have fear of recession, fear of not keeping your job, fear. Here's a big one. Fear of not having enough money for retirement. Anybody there with me? Just me? Liars. Anyway, (laughs) after a decade of nearly constant prosperity we know that there's this new kind of blowing that says that we better tighten our belts because things are starting there's to, there's some tension right now and and there's some pessimism about the recession so we're t- starting to hear about layoffs and we're starting to hear that you know we're f- about to face tighter times and yet you know our job reports are looking great so it's very it's an interesting time for us but we also know that that's n- that's not new to us it's not new it's not a new problem And I think we would all agree that no matter how much money you have or how much money you save, we all know that it can go away overnight. In fact, some of us have experienced that you're doing great one day and then a layoff comes off and boom, what am I going to do now? We all know that a catastrophic illness can erase a lot of your savings overnight. And the illness can do that. Lawsuits, doctor bills, there's so many things that can just take you from prosperity to to being broke, really. So the question is, how do you live in a financial world without having financial worries? And if financial security is not a sure thing, and folks, we all know if we think about it, we all know that it's not true. There is no such thing as financial security. Then how do you live without worry? Well, we can go back into the Old Testament and and take a look at what the wisest person that ever lived said, King Solomon. He says that it's in Ecclesiastes. He says, enjoy prosperity whenever you can. And when hard times strike, realize God gives one as well as the other. So everyone will realize that nothing is certain in life. He's saying, you know, you can be a hero one day and a zero the next. A millionaire one day bankrupt the next. So no matter how much money you make, no matter how much you save, finances are uncertain. And I think we all know that to be true. And folks, there's some truths that we need to remember because we have God's word, the words of Jesus. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 25, a a big part of that talks about those financial fears and those financial worries. And in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, he says not to worry about finances because it's unreasonable. In fact, verse 25 starts out by saying, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, about your body, what you're going to wear, what are you going to wear, what are you going to buy? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? He's saying if you're going to have fears in life, folks, that's... There's a lot of worse fears than the fears of finances. Life is more than just the accumulation of things. Even if you go bankrupt, that's not the worst thing that can happen to you. There's a lot of things that are worse than simply not having money. And if you're going to have fears, why don't you at least point them in the direction that makes sense? Things that are more important than finances. Because it's unreasonable to just worry about them when you can't do much about them. It's also unnatural because in verse 26, it tells us, look at the birds in the air. They don't sow. They don't reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? He's saying birds don't worry. Animals don't worry. And in the next text, you're finding that he says plants don't worry. We human beings are the only things that God has created that actually does not trust God for his provision. I mean, you don't see a bird saying, hey, I'm going to build a bigger nest for retirement. Only human beings don't trust God to provide for them. Everything else in creation trusts God for provision. So we're not created to worry. It's, it's unnatural. Every other fear that we have, folks, has been learned except for two. But every fear that we have has been learned. And the good news about that is because they've been learned, that means that they can be unlearned. So that's the next one. Now this next one, you know, to be true, worrying about your finances is also unhelpful. Frankly, it's just it's ineffective. When you worry about your finances, it doesn't work anyway. Think about it. Have any of you ever been worried about a bill and the bill paid itself? Doesn't work that way. He's saying worrying is doing without doing. Worry does not work. It only makes you miserable. In fact, verse 27. And the Sermon on the Mount says, who of you can add a single hour to your life by worrying? None of us. So it's unhelpful and it's unnecessary. Verse 30 tells us, if that's how God closes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith? Ouch. I think he's talking to me right there. He's saying there's no reason to fear because God has promised to take care of every single one of your needs. It isn't necessary to worry about finances. And we know that because when we were kids and we were completely dependent on our parents, we knew that they were going to meet all of our needs. It's only as adults that we try to assume that responsibility that was never really intended for us to assume. And I think that fear comes from a misunderstanding about God and what he's promised to do for you. He has assumed responsibility for your needs. And he says, I am your heavenly father. I'm going to take care of all of your needs. You are my children. You have an inheritance. You are the son and daughter of the high most God. Why wouldn't I give you everything I own? But the problem is that we get into trouble when we have this doubt that God doesn't love us or somehow we can relate to that. But again, if you think about it, if God can be trusted with the biggest thing, which is to get us into heaven, which is why we're all here. We want eternal life. Amen. Amen. Then why wouldn't he be able to be trusted with the everyday simple things of providing for your needs while we're on earth? Worrying about your finances is also unbelieving. He says in verse 31 and 32, don't worry saying, what will you eat or what will you drink for the pagans? You know, the pagans are the people without God, the unbelievers. He says the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. He's saying that if you're a non-believer, if you don't have a faith in God, then you have reason to worry. If you're trying to figure it out all by yourself and you're going through life on your own power, then you have every reason to worry. But if not, if you believe in God, then he's going to provide everything you need. And notice that it says your heavenly father knows. God knows. He knows it all. He knows about the doctor bills and the mortgage that's up. And he knows that the economy and how tight it is. It is not a surprise to him. He is not upset or worried about it because he knows everything you need before you even ask. And folks, again, as as the children of God, of the high most God, he wants to help you. But when we worry, it's like we start playing God. It's like trying to assume the responsibility when God said, I'm going to take care of all of your needs. And we start acting like if it all depends on us, on our own power, on our own might, we're going to change our circumstances. But here's the truth. And if you don't hear anything else today, th- I want you to take this scripture home with you. Philippians 419, Paul says, God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And what does all include? Folks, I've told you this before. I did an extensive study on the word all. I looked up the Greek and you know what it means? It means everything. (laughs) Pretty much it. So here's the question this morning. The question is not will God meet all of your needs? The real question is, do you believe him? Because if it's true, we have nothing to worry about. And if it's not true, then we have to get a little exacto knife and cut that part out of the Bible, tear it out because you don't believe it, and then start making your own Bible. If it's true, then what in the world are we afraid of? God says, I will supply all of your needs, period. And notice that it says he's going to supply all of our needs, not all of our wants. There's a difference. It doesn't say he's going to supply all of our greeds. There's a difference. Come on, brother. Thanks. (laughs) You know, in the Bible, with every promise, there is a premise. Whenever God gives a promise, and there's thousands of them. I mean, open up his word. There's so many. It's amazing. But with every promise, there is always a condition. And the reason God does that is because he wants us to live by faith. God says, you do this, and I'll do this. So when it comes to our financial needs, there are certain conditions. There are certain premises that if we meet, it allows God to do his part, to do his work and provide for us. So if you meet the premise, you can claim the promise, if you will. God doesn't force us. It's a choice. We can go the rest of our lives if we choose to and worry forever. He won't stop us. He says this morning, you can either worry or you can trust me. And if you trust me, then there's no reason to worry because God guarantees to meet all of your needs. And one of these conditions that I'm talking about, one of these premises for God to meet our needs is if you put Christ first in your life. If I put Christ first in my life, that is the first thing he says. And it's very clear in Matthew where it says your heavenly father already perfectly knows perfectly well what you need. And he will give it to you if you give him first place in your life. And live as he wants you to. So the first condition is. Do I have Christ first place in my life? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Because any time that we worry. Is really an indication that we have our priorities mixed up. Any time that we're anxious about anything. Or uptight. You know we say are we going to make it through this tight financial crunch. That means that our values are a little out of focus. It's a sign. You know and and God made human beings in such a way that. That. He is meant to be number one in our lives. And because he loves us and we love him. Therefore, we have a relationship with him. And anytime something gets in the way of that, it becomes a source of anxiety in our lives. So if you put your career first, it's going to be a source of anxiety in your life. If you put certain relationships first, it's going to be a source of anxiety in your life. Because we know that those things can be taken away. And sometimes they are. He says, that is the starting point. He says, if you want to have all of your needs met, then stop living for possessions and start living for God. Amen. And God says, trust me, I will set you free. And once you've done that, here comes the next step. Pray and expect them to answer. That means asking in faith. Again, in Matthew, it says, if you, though evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? He's saying, if I, being an imperfect father, and folks, I have three kids and I am an imperfect father, know how to bestow good gifts to my kids, certainly God, who is a perfect father, who loves you and wants the best for you, knows exactly what you need and he will give it to you. You know the Bible says over 40 times in the New Testament ask. 40 times it says ask and it shall be given. You have not because you ask not. Over and over again. The point is all you have to do is ask. God wants us to come to him and ask and expect him to answer. And since we're talking about money let's say you want to purchase something. Well I have a a little tip for you this morning that I, that, I, that I practice on myself, and it's really hard to do. Why don't you try praying for it before you pay for it? Amen. Just use it as a rule. Before you pay, pray. Before you go out and you go into debt, especially when you go into debt, give God a chance to give it to you first. You know, many times we have a major purchase ahead of us, and we ask ourselves, you know, I wonder if God wants me to have that. But we don't give a second thought. And I understand we live in a community in an area where that's okay. We can pretty much oftentimes or most oftentimes just get whatever we want. You know, so we just go out sometimes and we charge it. We don't trust God, but we trust Visa and MasterCard. And most often what that little piece of plastic is doing is short circuiting God working in your life more times than we ever know. And God says, okay, you got it. But I would have given it to you if you had waited. Or maybe I didn't want you to have it because I had something better for you. Maybe I wanted to do a miracle in your life so you can have a testimony so you can tell others about me. But instead, we take it upon ourselves. But when you realize that God is really interested in meeting your needs, folks, we're all going to be less likely to go into debt. We just need to give God a chance first. The third principle is obey God's financial principles. This is a big one. Proverbs. The man who wants to do right will get a rich reward. But the man who wants to get rich quick will quickly fail. Right here, he's already warning about get rich quick schemes. You know, and there's literally hundreds upon hundreds of money management principles in the Bible. And folks, today is not a sermon about those principles, but I do want to encourage you to open up books, take classes. One of those is what the Bible says about money by Larry Burkett. Or you can go and take Financial Peace University that we would offered here at the church. It'll change your life because those principles talk about giving and spending and saving and investing, co-signing, budgeting, planning, retirement. You know, the Bible is very, very clear. On financial principles. In fact, the way you get into debt is by ignoring those principles. But the good news is that the way you get out of debt is by aligning again on those principles. So I would encourage you that if you want God's blessing on your business, and if you want God's blessing on your finances, that you would bring your life into alignment with those financial principles found in God's words. He says, provide, he's going to provide for all of your needs, all your financial circumstances. So that is a third premise. That is a third condition. The fourth is if I demonstrate contentment with what I have, that is a fourth condition. Showing contentment with what I already have. Again, King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has enough and is never satisfied with his income as goods increase so do those who consume them. Basically, it's saying the more you get, the more you want. That is life. In fact, they asked Howard Hughes one question. How much does it take to make a man happy? Howard Hughes says just a little bit more. The fact is that if we love materialistic things, we're never going to be happy because we're always going to want more. That's just the way materialism works. You always want to get more and more and more. And folks that is a myth. And those of us have ex- that have practiced that or try to experience that know that it is a myth because we're not happier when we get more. In fact, does a million dollar house make you twice as happy as a $500,000 house? It's a great investment but it doesn't make you twice as happy. But the advertisers, the marketing gurus, they would all want you to think that, right? And folks that is caused because of discontent. And discontent is caused by one thing and one thing alone, and that is comparing. When I compare with other people, then I become discontent, especially in a world of social media where you can see that everybody lives an amazing life on social media, and they're going on trips, and it's their fourth time in Hawaii, and all of a sudden, hey, I need to do that too. We start comparing, but guess what? Comparisons is going to get you into debt. I mean, has a, you don't have to answer, but has a comparison ever gotten you into debt? You go to the car dealer and you have a certain budget for a car, but then you look at everybody else's car and you say, well, I like those bigger wheels and I want that technology packet with that sunroof that costs $12,000 more. Oh man. Okay. I'll just go into debt $12,000 more because of comparing. Yet Hebrews tells us, be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Meaning God's gonna take care of you no matter what you have. So, the secret, the antidote, is contentment. Contentment can save you a lot of money and take away a lot of these financial fears. When we show contentment, it shows that we are satisfied. And I don't want you to get me wrong this morning. I'm not saying that you have to say, I like where I'm at, I'm not saying that you should never have financial goals. You ought to have financial goals. I'm not saying that you should never try to increase your net worth because the Bible also says that the diligent man prospers. But what I am saying is that contentment is regardless of the circumstance. With Christ's power in my life, I can handle it. That is contentment. Contentment is saying, you know, I don't look to any circumstances to make me happy. It is my relationship with God that makes me happy. I can be rich or I can be poor and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is being content. The fifth principle, the fifth premise, the fifth condition that God will meet all of your financial needs is if I practice the law of the harvest. And this one is a test and God promises that if you test him on this, he will open up the floodgates of heaven. That is the fifth condition that God says, if you do these things, I will meet your needs. And you practice the law of the harvest. But what is the law of the harvest? That is based on a principle of sowing and reaping. That means that the amount you harvest, the amount you plant, is, ba- is going to basically be the amount that you sow. It applies to every area of life, not just finances. If you sow criticism, you are going to reap criticism. If you sow kindness to others, you are going to reap kindness to others. If you help other people succeed, you will become a success. Whatever you give out gets turned back in direct proportion. It is an unbreakable law that God made here. Second Corinthians, Paul tells us, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know, a farmer realizes that although he owns the farm, he doesn't get anything until he plants a seed. Rather than complaining about his debt or complaining about all the work that he has to do, he simply just goes out into his field and he starts to sow seeds. And if he sows five acres, he doesn't expect to get 20 acre return, does he? You sow what you reap in proportion. And if you sow a little, you reap a little. And if you sow a lot, you reap a lot. But let's say that same farmer is in debt and the bank is ready to foreclose on him. And he has two barrels of seed left. But instead of sowing, meaning planting that seed, he says, you know, I can't afford to sow the seed. So instead, I'll hold on to it and feed my family this winter. Well, what he doesn't know and what he just did is that he's going to be out of business in a year. The point is that when he is hurting the most is when he needs to sow the most. Rather than taking the little that he's got and using it on himself, he should have probably taken it and given it away. And it reproduces and it multiplies in God's law of economy because what you sow is what you reap. That is the law of the harvest And when you have a need, plant the seed. When you have a need for more time, give away more time. When you have a need for more money, give away more money. When you have a need for more energy, give away energy. But to us, that sounds so illogical. To give away what you need when you need it the most, logical, right? But why does God do that? Again, because God wants to have a relationship that is dependent on him. He wants you to have faith. And God says in his word, my ways are not your ways. We need to give the most when we are hurting the most, because that is when we need God's help the most. That's not illogical to me. So when you have a need, plant the seed. But instead we say, before I do that, I want all my needs met. When I get a promotion, I'll give. When I get more money, I'll give. When I do this, when I go to school, then I'll serve. And God is saying that's not the way it works. You give, I act. You prime the pump. And notice what it says in Scripture. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I have to tell you that as your, pa- as your pastor, I, I want to share this with you. Never give under pressure. There's a lot of great organizations, nonprofit organizations, that, that want you to and, and depend on your money, including this church. But I'm telling you, That you should never give under pressure or under compulsion. Because God says that you should never do that. In fact, if you give under pressure, you don't get credit for it anyway. Only this word says when you do it cheerfully, does it count. So I'm asking you this morning that don't give under pressure. That's not really planting a seed. Instead, I would ask you that you would give willingly and with a cheerful heart. And here's what the rest of that verse says. Here is the promise. That was the premise. Here is the promise. And God is able to make what? All grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Amen to myself on that. (laughs) So I have two questions for you as we close simple questions. The first one is, what does the word all cover? Remember, I did an extensive study. Question number two. What are you afraid of? When it comes to financial fears, the bottom line is this. Do I really believe God or not? Do I really believe that he'll do what he says when he says, I will provide for all of your needs according to my glorious riches in Christ Jesus? We can choose to follow that or we can ignore it and worry the rest of our lives. And folks, the reality is that you will never know until you put it to the test. So here's my encouragement this morning. Put it to the test. Walk out of these doors and put these principles to the test and then come back to me and tell me that didn't work. But not before you do that. I'm here to tell you that if you do that, you're going to be a great testimony because it is a great testimony when Christians live in a very financially tight world with absolutely no financial fears. Because people will say, man, that their God must be up to something. I don't know what they're going through They're, they're going through some financial hard times. But look at them. They have this peace about them. I want some of that. That is a great Christian testimony about finances. Bottom line this morning. It is our choice. Are we going to worry or are we going to do what God says? Will you pray with me? If you're tired of worrying about your finances, I just want to encourage you to talk to God right now. In the privacy of this moment, just between you and God, we know that He can hear your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking and the Bible says that He wants to meet all of your needs. That is a promise. And would you just say in your heart this morning, maybe you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. Do that today. Say, I don't understand it, but I know that you have a purpose for my life, and I want to put you first in my life. And I want to do what you want me to do. Folks, if you say that, he'll hear you. Then would you pray, help me to learn to pray for things and expect an answer, Father. Help me to obey your financial principles. Help me to show contentment for what I already have and realize that my happiness does not depend on my circumstances. But Lord, it depends on you. Father, help me when I have a need to sow a seed, to give generously and willingly, realizing that I can never outgive you. Father, help me to be a testimony. And Lord, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, amen.